0: AYW News Radio Original Podcasts
1: Follow, follow, follow. Follow the drinking
2: Follow the drinking If you live in Philadelphia or if you visited, you might have walked on the same ground as Harriet Tubman. This whole region had several stops on the Underground Railroad. Some of the streets you might take to get a coffee or go to work are the same ones that Harriet Tubman traveled, guiding people on their way to freedom more than 100 years ago. That's pretty wild, right? But her connection to the city goes even deeper. To black women in Philly and all over the country, Harriet Tubman is a maternal figure, our founder, our sister. Our sister. For one, we call her
3: Nana Harriet. We give her a title. Nana is a is a title in Africa for someone of esteem who's done a lot for their people. And so I think about that, like sisterhood and how
0: that affected who she is, was, became. And so when I think of her, and even as young, I was like, that's who I am. You know, that's who I align with. You know, that's
2: who I want to be for my society. We have lots of historical markers pointing out spots along the Underground Railroad and the city is planning a statue of Harriet Tubman. But surprisingly, that has sparked some heated debate. There's no transparency,
3: half million dollar contract, uh, public tax dollars and no transparency. So she deserved better than this process the city had. We don't trust, there's no public trust. There's no public trust in any of it.
2: What does it really mean to honor a person's full life and legacy? This is The John Cast a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka, and this week, we're going on a walk in the footsteps of Harriet Tubman and other leaders of the Underground Railroad. We'll visit sites where they stood and where they met to learn why this legacy is so important, beyond what you read in your history books. And we'll try to understand why it's such a struggle to find the right way to honor that history. I talk about this whisper, right,
0: and feeling like I hear Harriet whisper. Janine Cook is one of Harriet
2: Tubman's biggest fans, if not the biggest.
0: And that kind of started really young. Like, I probably was in, like, the third or fourth grade. I remember seeing a book with this woman on the cover, and they were out on the field, and here goes this woman that has, like, her head wrapped, and she looks strong, like, really strong. And I don't think I'd ever seen anyone like that In that context, then I remember
2: feeling like, yeah, that's who I want to be like. Janine is the owner of Harriet's Bookshop in Fishtown. She's a bit of a Philadelphia celebrity. Harriet's Bookshop focuses on books by women and BIPOC writers, as does their sister bookstore, Ida's Bookshop, in Collingswood, New Jersey, named for Ida B. Wells. Both also serve as sort of community centers, hosting events with authors or live music or anything to bring folks together to celebrate and embrace Black joy. Janine has been guided through her life by these whispers from Harriet Tubman. She even wrote some of them down in a book called Conversations with Harriet.
0: That whole book is like these meanderings between her and I and things that I felt like I wanted to share and ways in which I felt like she was sharing with me. And and when I'm thinking about what the bookshop could be as as a beacon of light and hope and a space of freedom... I was like, yo, who could, who would be the the patron saint of that? And that's Harriet,
2: 100%. Janine is really the expert on all things Harriet Tubman. So I asked her to help be our guide as we tell this story. John Tubman was
0: free already, and she was um, still enslaved. Mm-hmm. And somehow they created a relationship where they were able to marry. But John Tubman was down south. He was in Maryland. But she was like, I'm not staying down here. It's not safe for me. She finally gets her, figures out, like, how to get herself out. And this says, okay, John, I'm out. Like, let's, well, we got to get out of here. Like, I can't stay down in Maryland, right? And he's like, nah. (laughs) <laughs> nah, so I, just, I, I was just like, the kind of like, who is this guy that turns down Harriet Tubman? <laughs>
2: so, so he just said, no, I'm not. He wasn't like with you. it. He
0: already had someone else, and he was moving on. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that story because it humanizes Harriet and reminds us that you know these great folks throughout history, these great women, they were women just like us that had you know heartbreak and love affairs and. PMS, you know, like, like all of that is real for us, you know. And so. Right. So I got invited to the museum,
2: the Harriet Tubman Museum, before it opened in Cape May. The Harriet Tubman Museum of New Jersey started as a preservation project in 2019 and opened its doors as a museum in 2020. Cindy Mullock is the executive director. She started as a volunteer working to preserve the building.
4: It sits on this street. Lafayette Street in Cape May, where Harriet Tubman would have worked and likely resided um, uh, along with a number of other abolitionist heroes. But
2: how did Harriet Tubman get to Cape May
4: or to this area
2: in general, for that matter?
4: We know that Harriet Tubman escaped the eastern shore of Maryland in 1849, uh, made her way to Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, she met with a number of abolitionist activists, uh, the Anti-Slavery Society, which included William Still.
0: Many, many people, if you're on the way out, if you're escaping, people know to come to William Still because he's keeping records like nobody's business, um, records that would have gotten him probably locked up, if not killed, of where people were, who was going where, and who was
2: passing through his house. William Still has an interesting story of his own. He was born a free black man in New Jersey. His parents and some of his siblings were enslaved before he was born. His father bought his own freedom and his mother tried to escape with their four children at the time. But she was recaptured and eventually she did escape again. But this time she was only able to take her two daughters. So William has two brothers who he never met who were left behind in slavery. Abolition was a very personal fight for William still. So as an adult, he moves to Philadelphia to work as a clerk for the Anti-Slavery Society.
4: He starts as a clerk, he works his way up. He was an incredible writer and a meticulous note taker. And so he became the chair of what they called the Vigilance Committee. And the Vigilance Committee was the group that would help all of these freedom seekers when they arrived in Philadelphia, when they arrived to the Anti-Slavery Society offices Being pretty
2: close to the Mason-Dixon line, Philadelphia became the home base for a lot of freedom seekers. And William still was there collecting everyone's stories.
4: He would basically do an intake interview with them. We could consider it now. These were refugees. These were people who had no documentation. He would ask them all kinds of questions about uh, where they were coming from, what their relationships were with their enslavers, how they were treated, Uh, what family they were leaving behind, et cetera. And so after the Civil War, he published these volumes and he called them the Underground Railroad. Um, In 1872, he published them and many families were able to find each other through this material. So for all of the work that he did, he is often called the father of the Underground Railroad. Not
2: only did his work help others find their families
4: one day a gentleman walks through the door a freedom seeker he starts asking him all of those questions and does this intake process that he was accustomed to doing what's your backstory where were you enslaved and the answers that he's getting are well my father purchased his own liberty my mother escaped Originally took me and my brother and two sisters, but, you know, we were recaptured. Then she escaped again and took my two sisters, but my brother and I were left behind. And so as William Still is listening to this, he recognizes that this is his story. This is the story of his family and that he's meeting his brother through this work for the first time.
2: Knowing that William Still is the man to see when you make it to Philadelphia Harriet Tubman went to him to help her get a fresh start. But she didn't just want a new life for herself. And this is where Harriet gets me riled up. It's like, you know, it's
0: one thing to care about your own freedom. And and it does matter that we have our own freedoms and our own liberties, But it's a very different thing when you care about the freedoms and liberties of other people and you don't have to, right? Mm -hmm. When you are at a place like when she talks about give me freedom or give me death, give me liberty or give me death. There's not many people that I know of that see their life in that way, that see the possibility of freedom so strongly for not only themselves, but for other people.
2: So much so that they're willing to put their life on the line Mm -hmm. for others. Harriet jumped in and started working with the Anti-Slavery Society, where she met another man named Stephen Smith.
4: Stephen Smith was one of the founders of the Anti-Slavery Society. He was one of the richest African-Americans in his time. He was actually born into slavery in Pennsylvania, freed himself by negotiating his own freedom, and um, built his lumber company. With his wealth and his prominence, he also was able to create his summer home in Cape May, and he built that summer home in 1846. So when Harriet Tubman in 1849 came into community with all of these abolitionist activists in Philadelphia, she would have met Stephen Smith and a number of others who were spending their summers in Cape May um, as kind of a summer headquarters.
2: So Harriet Tubman and the rest of the anti-slavery society would spend their summers in Cape May, working wherever they could. Harriet did a lot of domestic work with families and in hotels, and they would meet at Stephen Smith's house to make plans. Then they would take the money they'd earned and head back down the Underground Railroad route to free more enslaved people in the winter. Like, I'm going to work in
0: the summer and spring, and then I'm going to do my my escape work in the winter, the hardest time to do it, mm-hmm. because that's the least the, the least chance that somebody will chase me because they'll be as- afraid of the elements.
2: There are 13 missions of Harriet Tubman's documented during this time period, from the Philadelphia area down to the South and back. And every time, she would meet with Stephen Smith and William Still after to document the journey. But they didn't always meet in Cape May. We know that Harriet Tubman spent a lot of time in Philadelphia itself. In a minute we'll visit a spot in Germantown where the Anti-Slavery Society held meetings, a home owned by a Quaker family who protected people on their journeys to freedom. Welcome back to the JohnCast. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka. Welcome to the Johnson House.
1: It's always great to have people come visit us, especially on a cold day.
2: (laughs) The Johnson House sits at the corner of Germantown Ave and Washington Lane, in Philadelphia's Germantown neighborhood. There's a Christian center across one street and a gas station across the other. And right there is this little, very old stone house, classic historic Philly style.
1: You know, this house was built in 1763.
2: It started being built in
1: 1763 and was completed in 1768.
2: The place is remarkably well-preserved for a 260-year-old house.
1: You're standing on the original floors to the house even some of the original window panes are to the house. Um,
2: You came through the original doors. These are Dutch doors. And, you know, you guys
1: want these doors to kind
2: of like... Wendy Burton is showing us around. But for the purposes of this tour, she's portraying Lucy Douglas. She's dressed in full 18th century costume. Big layered dress, apron, a shawl wrapped around her shoulders, and short brown lace-up boots. My husband was a tanner. For
1: the Johnsons, and we lived on the Johnsons' property, and he was John Douglas, and uh, he actually, you know, was a tanner and made shoes, and that's why these shoes are so well made, because they were made by my husband. <laughs> and so, um, yeah.
2: The Douglases actually owned the tanning house, though it was on the Johnsons' property. The Johnsons were a Pennsylvania Dutch family. Their original last name was Jansen, but they changed it when they moved to America. The Johnsons were very active abolitionists. We talk about how
1: Harriet Tubman actually walked through this doorway. Just the same doorway that I walk in every time I come here, but you just walked through. There is some documentation that we haven't gotten a hold of yet, but we are assuming that she came here because she was up in this area all the time. Mm-hmm. And the Johnsons were very outward in their. Um, abolitionist movement here, and they had even had meetings up here.
2: We know that she was in this neighborhood
1: all the time. Yeah, when she came up, and this was part of the trail. Um, you know,
2: they would go. Remember William Still, who we talked about earlier, <laughs> this- the man who documented everyone who came through Philadelphia on the Underground Railroad. He met a lot of those people and recorded their stories at the Johnson House. He could be the station master, so if- this is a station house.
1: The enslaved people were the passengers. These were all codes that they might have used back in the day. So if you arrived here at this station house, William Still might just be there, you know? And his purpose was to document your story.
2: Among the items on display at the Johnson House Historic Site is a vintage copy of William Still's book, The Underground Railroad.
1: So this is William Still's book. They had a William Still conference here in Philly about seven, eight years ago. And that's when they reproduced his book, because it's, you know, tells a lot of stories of, you know, people passed through here, and just um, his life, and just amazing stuff is in here. So he's
2: still such an incredible person. Wendy, or Lucy, walks us all around the house.
1: So I'm going y'all come in here.
2: <laughs> we see the Johnson's bedroom with a wooden four-poster bed and a bed warming pan by the fireplace. Then we see the office with books that were brought in by the women's club when they bought the property to preserve it in the early 1900s. As we're seeing all this, I try to picture the Johnson family living here with strangers that they've taken in. Different groups of recently freed African-Americans sleeping in these rooms, eating in the kitchen, remaining within these walls until they could safely move on to their next stop.
1: The story people ask most of the time There were any slaves ever found in the Johnson house. Well, not really. However, the sheriff did come looking for enslaved people one night because he heard they were in the area. So this evening he knocked on the door. Miss Johnson looked out, hmm, it's the sheriff. And normally she's very quiet and, you know, talks very softly. So he's searching here, there, everywhere, and he gets up here to this attic side of the house. And in the meantime, she's talking really loud because this hatched roof here, and oh, it was opened up, and the insulated people are actually laying on the roof
2: outside while the sheriff is in this room checking. The sheriff didn't find them. Wendy says that was the closest anyone ever came to getting caught at the Johnson house. The Johnson House is designated as a National Historic Landmark for being an Underground Railroad site, as is Mother Bethel Church in Center City. Historian Charles Blockson led the effort to get the National Park Service to recognize the Johnson House. He's widely known for his work studying not just the history of the Underground Railroad, but African-American history in general and the global Black experience. You can see a collection of his artifacts on display at Temple University. So Charles blocks oh my God.
1: He's just talking about the Underground Road and he has all this energy about it. So he wrote this poem and I usually recite it on my tour. It goes like this. It's called The Ballad of the Underground Road. The underground train, as strange as it seemed, carried many passengers It never was seen. It wasn't made of wood, it wasn't made of steel. A man-made train that ran without wheels. The train was known by many a name, but the greatest of all was the Freedom Train. The passengers were the fugitive slaves running from slavery and his evil ways, running from the whip and the overseer, slave block and auctioneer. They didn't want their masters to catch them again. So the women dressed as men and the men dressed as women. They hid in churches, cellars and barns, waiting to hear the trains alarm. Sleeping by day, traveling by night was the best way they knew to keep out of sight. Those who knew the secret never did tell the sacred message of the freedom chain spell. Riding this train broke the laws of the Lamb and the laws of God are higher than man's. In
2: 2023, unfortunately, the question of how we teach and honor all this history is fraught. I'm Maisha
3: Sullivan Ogoza, and I'm a member of the uh, Celebrating the Legacy of Nana Harriet Tubman Committee. It's a local committee, that uh,
2: was formed around the city's commissioning of a municipal statue. There was a temporary statue of Harriet Tubman put up in Philadelphia outside of City Hall as part of her 200th birthday celebrations last year. An estimated birthday, by the way, because her real birthday is not documented. We actually celebrate it around the time that she died. The statue was on loan from the artist, Wesley Wofford, It's been on display in several cities, moving from place to place. Wesley Wofford, by the way, is a white man. And some of the issues around
3: public arts work is that 90% of all public art is made by white males. Even if the subject matter is a person of color or a
2: woman, 90% of public art still go to white males. The city of Philadelphia now wants to put up a permanent statue of Harriet, and at first, They commissioned Wofford to make it. But that didn't sit so well with some folks in the Black community here. And they formed the Celebrating the Legacy of Nana Harriet Tubman Committee in response. It's not just that they were hiring a white man to make a statue of a Black woman. Mama Maisha, as the committee members call her, says they should have involved the community in the process. Once we uh, heard that they just
3: was going to give it to them, you know, without a process, we challenged it. And we wanted every step to be open and
2: transparent. What are you looking for to be more transparent? Like knowing criteria of what they're looking for or seeing the list of artists who submitted? Like what specifically would you you like to see? All the above, (laughs) yeah, all of the above. After the committee wrote a petition and got some public attention from press and a few local politicians, the city put out an open call for artists to design a new statue. Kelly Lee, the city's chief cultural officer, made the announcement. We will be giving a priority to artists that reflect the diversity of Philadelphia. Minority and female artists are strongly encouraged to apply. But Maisha says they haven't heard much from the city since then, and the process still isn't fully open and transparent. And we want to see who submitted and... uh what criteria they're
3: using for selecting, and we feel as though it's not enough. We want them to open the process
2: again. We no hurry about this. We want it done right. The submission deadline recently passed, so we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But this got me thinking about a few other ways that people have been trying to honor Harriet Tubman nationally. There's been talk of putting her on the $20 bill for years, and it still hasn't happened. Janine Cook, the owner of Harriet's Bookshop, has been trying to get a federal holiday in her honor. So, yeah, we've been, like, working on this, like, how do you
0: make Harriet Tubman Day the first federal holiday name for a woman? The fact that there are none mm-hmm, says so much about where we are.
3: Why have all of these things been such a struggle? To acknowledge her and her fullness would expose so much of the contradictions that's out here. She was a reparationist later in life. But when you go deep into her life, into her practice, she wasn't warm and fuzzy. She was a tough tough sister. And so this is why you get so much pushback, you know? I don't know any other figure from our history that you think everyone loves gets so much resistance at the same
2: time. Now, there are a lot of places that do honor Harriet Tubman and the other leaders of the Underground Railroad. We all know who she is. But what is the right way to honor her legacy and the work that she did with William Still and Stephen Smith and all the other abolitionists of the 1800s? That's a really hard question. Janine thinks that monuments are not the answer.
0: What I invite folks to think about, especially folks in political positions, is, you know, about putting substance over symbolism We have got to do a serious reckoning of what happened here on the soil. We have to look at that and we have to sit with that. And then we have to do the repair work of what to do about that. Because if you were in a relationship with someone and they had done the harmful things that was done to our ancestors, some of our ancestors here on this land, and then they they just stayed in that relationship and was just like, oh, look, I I got you a, a, a gift. Here's a, <laughs> here's a gift. Here's a monument. Like, no. No, that's actually not enough. You know, that doesn't fix anything. That's going to take some serious time and effort. And jumping to a monument, um, mm-hmm. a statue, to me, is a little premature.
2: Mama Maisha and the Celebrating the Legacy of Nana Harriet Tubman committee also see their fight as being about more than a statue.
3: You know, and that's the issue, how to make uh, her life continue to contribute to us. But how do we make her her, her life, her dedication to others and just what she did, how do we make that walk in everyday life of, of, of other people?
2: Not everyone agrees on the answers to those questions, but it seems like most people would say the best way to honor Harriet Tubman and the people who fought for freedom is with action. The committee members all participate in service activities and social justice initiatives. The Johnson House has education programs, bringing local schools there to learn the history on a deeper level. It's really all about channeling Harriet's spirit, just like Janine has been doing her whole life. When
0: I think about Harriet, I think about the spirit that traveled through Harriet, right? And that that spirit was a spirit that came before her and existed after her and will exist after us. But we get to invite that an understanding of what that spirit was because it's really needed in the now time, right? It's a spirit that I think, you know, we want to we want to be a part I do. I want to be a part of a spirit that understands freedom. I want to be a part of a spirit that understands humanitarianism. And mm-hmm. that's the spirit that I want to understand more of and embody. Yeah, cuz I think it's fly.
2: <laughs> I think I think it's fly. <laughs> The Johncast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast, and it's made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickert, Brian Seltzer, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, Bibiana Correa, and me, Sabrina Boyd Circa. Special thanks to Michelle Strongfields with the Celebrating the Legacy of Nana Harriet Tubman Committee, and to Cornelia Swinson, Executive Director of the Johnson House Historic Site, for their help with this episode. We'll have links to all the locations and organizations we talked about in our show notes. So if you want to visit them or support them with a donation, check there. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Twitter at TheJohnCast for more. And you can also follow us on the free Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and happy Black History Month. We'll be back with another story soon.